Steal away. Steal away. Steal away to You're hearing the voice of Marianne Petway, a quilter in Boykin, Alabama. And I know this sounds strange, but you're also listening to an actual quilt. One made not by Marianne, but by another quilt artist in Philadelphia, almost a thousand miles away. And yeah, I know that's hard to wrap your head around. In today's episode of Fiber Nation, we listen to how that artist, Eliza Hardy-Jones, transcribes women's voices, women's songs, note for note, with just strips of fabric. And those quilts she makes, in turn, tell stories about the singers, where they came from, their history, and why music is so important to them. To stay steal away. These song quilts will take us from Nebraska to the Russian Arctic to the American South. We'll hear songs and stories and get a smattering of Russian weaving techniques. And we learn that when you wade into cultural waters that aren't your own, you need to be prepared for some splashback. I got long to stay I'm Alison Korleski, and you're listening to Fiber Nation, tales of textiles, craft, and culture. So, before we get to the musical stuff, I need to take a little time and describe these quilts. We do have a link to them on our show notes page, and you really should go there and look at them. I want you to imagine long, narrow strips of fabric sewn together in rows. Each row is a series of rectangles, squares, and triangles, and their arrangement isn't random. Certain sequences repeat in a kind of visual rhythm, and they march across the quilt in a single direction, left to right, row after row after row. The colors for each quilt are harmonious, shades of green and blue in one, pale glacier-like hues in another, a few are symphonies of every shade of red or purple. Everything about these quilts is organized and linear. You look at one of these quilts and it looks like a page from a book. But what is it saying? I am Eliza Hardy-Jones and I am a quilter and a musician. So the Song Quilts Project is an oral history, musical, textile arts project. Um, so what I've done for the last four years or so is I've traveled around Russia and then around the United States where I meet and interview women who then share with me traditional folk music from their lives, from their families or, you know, the places that they live. And often then tell me stories about those songs and about their lives and, and the role that music has played in lives. And so I take those songs and I turn them into quilts. More on that in a bit. She might be a quilter, but music is Eliza's lifeblood, literally. Yeah, so um, I come from a family of musicians. Um, my grandmother and grandfather met in a pit orchestra. My father plays music. His sister was a ballerina. Their aunt was an opera singer. Her son was a composer. Um, so there's this sort of like formal classical music world in my family. But then also everybody in the family plays old time and bluegrass music. So every family get together is a jam. Everybody brings their instruments and we sing harmonies and we play together. And so for as long as I can remember, those two musical influences really defined my relationships with my family. Eliza was lucky. 
She was able to make a living as a professional musician right after college. She toured with groups like Grace Potter and Iron and Wine. She also released her own albums. As for quilting, eh, it was a hobby. She made quilts for friends and family, for weddings and new babies, but it had nothing to do with her professional career. Until one of those random events that ends up changing your life. So, yeah, it actually started in 2016. I had released a record called Because Become. So the record had gone out into the world. A, a painter from Murmansk, Russia, which is way up in the Arctic, had messaged me on Facebook and said, you know, I found your music on Russian Facebook. Could I use your music for my painting exhibition? And then next, the woman who had organized this exhibition, Ekaterina Sharova of the Arctic Art Institute, was messaging me and calling me. And we were talking about what the Arctic Art Foundation does and about textile traditions and the really rich um, history of textile traditions in the Russian Arctic and about folk music and folk songs and folk culture and soft culture and women's work. Um, And she said, you know, after this hour or so conversation, if you can come up with a project, we would host a residency for you here. It was the opportunity of a lifetime, but with a small hitch. Remember, Eliza was primarily a musician, and they wanted a visual artist. Her quilting hobby was about to become a lot more than just a hobby. So you've come up with an idea, something about folk song traditions and textile traditions and traditional women's work, but it's pretty amorphous. To get that residency, you need to take those ideas and make something that puts them all together in a way that makes sense. That was the beginning of the Song Quilt Project. Eliza would turn traditional folk music, sung by women, into a traditional craft, historically done by women. And here's the part you've all been waiting for. How exactly do you turn a song into a quilt? For Eliza, it didn't seem like a difficult task, because remember her incredibly musical family? My grandmother Mary, so my father's mother, had synesthesia, which is this... Uh, amazing phenomenon in which your brain connects two of the senses. So when she heard pitches, she saw color. Her grandmother would literally sing colors to Eliza and her siblings, and this became the foundation for her project. Each quilt would have an anchor color, the first note of a scale. Every other color in that quilt would then flow from that first color. And then she had to actually score the piece. So the the easy version of this is it's very, very simple. And it's simply that rhythm is represented by shape. So the basic quarter note rhythm is a four inch square and smaller rhythms are half square triangles and larger rhythms are rectangles. So the quilts are exact transcriptions. They're not spiritual, energetic, artistic impressions, they are exact transcriptions. So I, if you know the code, you can just read each of those quilts as if it were a piece of sheet music. But two people can sing the same song very differently. Tori Amos's cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit will never be confused with the Nirvana original. And Eliza didn't want her quilts to be generic versions of folk tunes, cut in cloth. But more importantly, I've tried to capture not just the, the sort of technical information of, of melody and harmony and rhythm and pitch, but I've also tried to capture the spirit of the song, the spirit of the woman, the place that that woman exists in. So there's all these different ways in which I'm able to sort of draw in those characters into the quilts, um, hopefully successfully, so that you can really experience a song in a very different way. 
Eliza wanted to work with women really steeped in American folk music. Bluegrass, Appalachian, gospel, didn't matter. It just couldn't be something that they sang now and then, or some folksy persona they wore when it suited them. It had to be part of their identity. She wanted to share what music meant to these women, along with the music itself. She just had to find the right people. And then he looked at me, and he says, well, you could bring your guitar and sing it. Oh, gosh, I don't know if I want, you know, in front of a bunch of people. And then my dad kind of caught on. He said, yeah, why don't you do that? The first interview that I did um, was with a woman in Nebraska. She was a 93-year-old woman. She lived alone on a farm. Um, And I am friends with her granddaughter. And I spoke with her and said, I know your grandmother plays auto harp and she sings these amazing songs and can I go to Nebraska and interview her and my friend was like oh my gosh it'd be amazing of course and it was in there and Marcella Herman furnished the music and I thought oh the rest of the women's family wasn't nearly as excited however because let's face it when a stranger contacts your 93 year old grandmother and goes on about singing and storytelling and turning her into a quilt that sounds pretty weird One of her grandkids even asked her not to talk to Eliza until they understood exactly what she wanted. I think from the family's perspective, you know, why is an outsider interested in the stories that this woman has to tell? Why are they interested in recording these stories? And and what I tried to communicate with the family is that I'm recording it for them as much as I am for me. That like, as soon as it was over, I gave them all four hours of tape and said, you know, here are these now recordings of your grandmother talking about being 10 on the farm and and what it was like getting married and what it was like when her parents died. You know, that there's this thing about oral history that is so special um, to the people connected to it. But it's also so special for those of us who don't even necessarily know that person that You don't need to be famous for your story to matter. The woman Eliza interviewed was Marcella Werman. She played her auto harp and sang Cowboy Jack, the basis for Eliza's first song quilt. If you take a look at that quilt, the main color is pale blue, like a Nebraskan sky, and sage green and gray, like a prairie in winter. If you go to the Song Quilts project page, and we have a link, you can see the quilt, but also photos of Marcella and her farm, a room in her house with her piano and sheet music and fiddles lining the walls. The quilt backing has a pattern similar to a dress Marcella wears in one of the photos. Eliza's project weaves music and memory, stories and pictures all together into one piece. Her quilts become tapestries of these women's lives and the music they love. So after that trip and a whole lot of sewing, Eliza finally had something to show the women in Russia, and they were sold on her idea. She got a residency and traveled to Arkhangelsk in the Russian Arctic in 2017. That trip was exhilarating. She was surrounded by artists and musicians and folk art and lots and lots of textiles. And there's no way I can even begin to cover the textile traditions in Russia, but let's just say that they're really rich and really varied. In fact, we have another episode on Russian knitting if you're interested. 
If you walk around Arkhangelsk, where Eliza spent much of her trip, you will see statues and murals that show women spinning and weaving, or just fabric designs, embroidery motifs. It's that much a part of local culture. And this goes back not just centuries, but millennia. Same thing for the musical culture there. The four women you're listening to are Tatiana Kastunova, Tatiana Panova, Ekaterina Karlinova, and Tatiana Golskaya, who all sing as part of a national folk choir. Their quilt is several shades of blue and gold. It's based on the cover of a CD they'd recently released. And you can see the emphatic rhythm of their song in the quilt. And there's something else going on that you might not see right away. To better understand, you need to know how a quilt is made. A quilt is three layers, top, bottom, and some cotton batting or wadding in between. There's in quilting, you have two main design elements. You have the piecing, which is the stitching together of of cut fabric to create a larger design. And you have the quilting, which is the actual stitching you use to connect those three layers of fabric together. And that is where I introduce very traditional weaving designs from different villages from which the songs have come. That quilting area is where I absolutely get to draw in these textile traditions, um, just sort of like a, an architecture of feeling that I get to pull into the quilting. Just like with Marcella in Nebraska, Eliza was trying to get as much of the women into her quilts as possible, referencing their history, environment, and culture. But on that trip, sometimes people got a little concerned that Eliza didn't want to honor their culture so much as appropriate it. Coming up after the break, people can get a little weird when you bring out a microphone, even if they were the ones who asked you to bring it. Okay, we're back. And Eliza is in Russia and meeting a ton of artists and musicians and is just thrilled by everything she sees and hears. She's making recordings, taking photos, and learning what she can of the local fiber traditions. She's eager to incorporate all of this, the music, motifs, the cultural history, into her work. But Ekaterina, the woman from the Art Institute who organized Eliza's residency and acted as her guide, was pretty skeptical sometimes. She had expressed to me that she was very uninterested in working with a colonist, that she did not want to introduce an artist with a colonial mindset into the Arctic, essentially to manipulate and to use the culture of the Arctic for my own gain without having it be a true dialogue and a true um, conversation between people from different places, that she really wanted to make sure that I wasn't just traveling to the Arctic to like steal people's stories and songs and heritage and then take it back and make it my own. Eliza understood Ekaterina's concern, but this still felt like a slap whenever she brought it up during the trip. Eliza had been open about her intentions. She was careful to explain what she was doing and how she would use the songs and recordings. And she was sharing her own musical heritage and stories with the Russian women she met. Cultural exchange might be a diplomatic cliche, but that's what Eliza was trying to do. Our folk culture helps us to understand who we are. It helps us to determine our national identity. So in the 19... 19- 
30s in America, the government, the Library of Congress, sent out ethnomusicologists to preserve American folk music because it's our cultural heritage. It's what makes us who we are. And the same thing is true in Russia. Those folk songs, it's, it's so tied in with how we understand our national identity, our regional identity. It created something of a stressful dynamic. Ekaterina had set up every meeting and was Eliza's translator. But the schedule was packed, and often there wasn't time to fully explain things. Sometimes Ekaterina was really happy with the project, sometimes really disappointed. Eliza found her own mood bobbing up and sinking down, based on Ekaterina's approval. And this led to constant self-evaluation on her part. Why was she doing this? Was she the only one benefiting? Was she honoring or appropriating? Ekaterina became that voice in her head, the one that most of us have, that hopefully keeps us honest. The Russian trip ended and Eliza returned to the States, where she continued working on her quilts. But again, not always without criticism. So early on um, in the project, I had interviewed, you know, maybe three women from the United States and then uh, the handful, you know, four or five women from Russia. And then I had started to present this work at, at Quilt Guilds and saying, this is an ongoing project, but this is my, I, you know, ideas and sort of using it as a way to talk about different cultural traditions and how much women's voices uh, contribute to our cultural identity and all of that good stuff. And this uh, amazing woman, Vernice Danells, raised her hand in my presentation and said, why are you only interviewing white women? Quilting has a long history in African-American culture, but Black contributions to art, like Black contributions to music, have long been ignored or whitewashed over. We leave out their contributions to our musical traditions, to our art traditions, that we've sort of co-opted all of those things as our own and pushed them aside. And this is a huge phenomenon that, that we struggle with in the United States about whose stories are we leaving out of a narrative who do we choose to let into the room and who do we keep out of the room? Eliza had been wrestling with this for a while, and Ekaterina's voice in her head amplified the issue. She wanted to showcase as many women as she could, but everyone she knew was white. And that speaks so much to who we are as a people, that even though we like to think of ourselves as this great melting pot and that we all live in this post-racial beautiful world, that we still operate in, in very segregated circles. And at the same time, she told me she didn't want to be a white woman Googling black folk singers to help in her project. So when Vernice Dinells asked her that question, why she was only working with white women, Eliza tried to explain. Vernice had a better solution. Um, so she came up to me afterwards and held onto my arm and she sang just as close as a human being can sing to your face. And she sang the banks of the Ohio. And we were in the lobby of this hospital. And so it just was like, you know, filled a hundred feet of glass. And it was just so powerful and so beautiful. It turns out Vernice lived only a few blocks from where Eliza grew up. Eliza visited her. Vernice made pudding. They talked. Vernice sang. They talked a lot more. Vernice has what's called a colorful life. She grew up in Seattle, Milwaukee, Hawaii, Montana, not always under easy circumstances. Um, she is the daughter of immigrants. So her father was Uzbek and her mother was from the West Indies. She was sort of Arapaho West Indian. 
And when her parents married, they didn't speak English. Um, and there were anti-miscegenation laws that made it illegal for people from different races to marry. But because people didn't know the difference between brown people, they were allowed to marry. So they had this sort of like sneaky um, marriage. For the project, Vernice chose a song about a dying hobo. She and her family were uprooted from a squatter's camp in Seattle in the 1960s and took a long train journey to Milwaukee to stay with a relative. That experience stayed with her all her life. And we got on the train and we had uh, two of those old steamer trunks that when you open them, they stand up right and they have little drawers and nothing else, nothing else, including money to eat. And it was, I don't know, a three or four day So the porter, the first day, caught my brother and I snatching food off of the plates that people had put outside their their doors. And after that, food just started appearing in our our birth. And I, I guess I could really relate to being a hobo and handouts growing on bushes and sleeping out every night, which is what we did when before the government found us on that property. Wow. So it, it feels like my story in a perverse kind of way. Just a mile west of the water tank on a cold December day In a dark and lonely boxcar a dying hobo lay His Vernice's quilt is all shades of purple. While the original title of her hobo song is A Little Stream of Whiskey, Vernice doesn't drink, and so she changed the lyrics to A Little Stream of Honey. Eliza nods to this in the honeycomb quilting of the piece. Now, events start to overlap here a bit because, like I said, Eliza knew her project was not telling a full story, even before Vernice confronted her. And so, while most of the women she worked with networked to her in some way, friends of friends, she also reached out to the heaviest hitters in the quilting world the women of G's Bend, Alabama. And I wish I had time to go into the history and importance of the G's Bend quilters. If you know anything about quilting or black art or modern art, you've probably heard of them. Descended from slaves and isolated by a rather challenging geography, they developed a quilting tradition that is one of the most important African-American contributions to art in the U.S., Their quilts go back to the early 1800s, but they've been described as some of the most miraculous works of modern art America has ever produced. Period. Eliza might have begun to make a name for herself with her quilts, but the G's Bend women were way ahead of her. And Eliza had dreamed of working with them in a way that had nothing to do with their fame or some kind of racial box ticking. Um, One of the women I interviewed is Marianne Petway of the G's Bend Quilt Collective. And she, I was definitely not on her radar. Um, So I had reached out to her really specifically, um, not just because uh, she's an incredible quilter, but because the G's Bend tradition is so much about not just um, the creation of these incredible, unique uh, quilts, but also about coming together and about singing together. So when they you know, have a museum exhibition or they teach a a class or they visit a guild, they always start those sessions singing together. Um, And so I felt like what a great way to talk about this relationship between traditional handwork and traditional 
music than a person who is so deeply entrenched in both of those traditions. In a way, Eliza's experience with Marianne brought her back full circle, back to when she was first trying to describe the project to a bunch of women in Russia. So I just called her and I explained to her what my project was, and she seemed slightly confused by it. I mean, it's such a confusing thing to explain to somebody over the phone. Um, but I said, you know, would, would you be willing to sing for me? And she said, oh, I'm not sure. And I said, well, could I come and visit you and talk to you about it in person? She said, yeah, you can come visit. Armed with fresh cookies and an adorable four-year-old niece, Eliza and her sister-in-law traveled to Boykin, Alabama, home of the G's Ben Quilt Collective. And they spent a day getting to know Marianne and some of the other women there and explaining the project. Marianne warmed to us. And she eventually came over and said, okay, I'll sing you a song. And so we went into the office and she sat down and she closed her eyes and, and she just sang the most incredible version of Steal Away to Jesus. This song is it's one of the songs that the, uh, the ladies used to sing back in the days. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, they come about it if you want to steal away somewhere and just sit down and talk to the Lord. Even though you can sit down and talk to the Lord anywhere. But sometimes you just need to just steal away. Let's get by yourself. Steal away. Steal away. Steal away to Jesus. Now, I have listened to all of the songs from Eliza's project, not just the four here. And no disrespect to the women who sing, I don't think any come close to Marianne. It really was, I mean, I can't describe what it was like. I, you know, I'd heard recordings of Marianne singing. I knew that she was an incredible singer, but there was something about being in the room with her um, surrounded by quilts and having her just sit and close her eyes and, and this sound. You know, the, the amazing thing about music is that it is physical, that there are sound waves that come out of a person's mouth and, and they touch you, you know. So it really was this visceral experience of, of feeling her voice fill the room and to be surrounded by all of these incredible quilts. And her voice is just incredibly moving. I, I can't imagine anybody not just being brought to tears by it. I mean, she really is. She's, she's incredible. Marianne's quilt is one of the most complicated because of the way that she sings, stretching some notes and embellishing others. Her favorite colors are red, white, and black. So Eliza used red as the anchoring tone for the piece, as a nod to the power of Marianne's voice. Eliza also pieced the quilt back from scrap fabric and then hand quilted the whole thing to incorporate and honor the G's Ben quilting traditions. The Song Quilts project is still ongoing. Though she had to take a break from traveling due to COVID, Eliza is currently finishing her next quilt. And no, she wouldn't tell me what it was. In the meantime, she continues to wrestle with the thorny issues of representation and appropriation in a diverse society. Her creative work has challenged her in ways she wasn't expecting when she was just trying to nail a residency in Russia. And it's brought up issues that have come to inform and shape her as an artist and as a person. Um, so I have tried to make sure that when I'm giving my lectures, I am creating a space where um, we are talking about and focusing on these really complicated issues of uh, racial identity and cultural identity in this country, which is so clearly uh, divided. 
The story might end here, except, fittingly, this episode, as much about music as it is about textiles, has a coda. And it pretty much summarizes everything Eliza is trying to accomplish with her project. Eliza emailed me after our interview to talk a bit more about Marianne and the song that she sang. Eliza wrote, One of the things that was so amazing about working with Marianne was that it so distinctly showed the distances that songs travel as they accompany us through time. And she goes on to say, Marianne sang the traditional African-American spiritual Steal Away to Jesus. When I asked her where she'd learned the song, she said she'd learned it at her church, where she serves as a choir leader. But the song goes back a lot further than that. In the 1850s or 1860s sometimes, most of the dates are a little squishy here, a Reverend Alexander Reed ran a boys' school in the Choctaw Nation, what would later become Oklahoma. And he overheard a man named Wallace Willis, a Choctaw freedman, singing Steal Away to Jesus, along with Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and other songs while he worked at the school. Willis would be credited as the composer for these songs, but they're probably from a much older African-American song tradition. The Reverend thought the songs were so beautiful and moving that he transcribed them as best he could. Then, sometime after the Civil War, he gave the songs to the Fisk Jubilee Singers. This was a choir group at Fisk University in Tennessee, a college founded to educate freed slaves. The Jubilee Singers were the first to actually perform the songs, for a mostly white audience, and they created the first recording of the song, which is why we all know it today. And so you have a song, originally sung by slaves as they labored, written down by a white man on the eve of the Civil War, then performed by freed slaves and their children across the country. This is the song that made its way to Marianne's Baptist Church in Alabama, where she sang it to Eliza, who transcribed and shared it yet again, this time in fabric and thread. Thank you for listening to Fiber Nation. If you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your reviews help other people find us. Fiber Nation is produced by me, Allison Korleski. Our producer and audio engineer is Daisha Clay. Fiber Nation is part of Interweave and Golden Peak Media, and our executive podcast producer is Jared Mayer.